your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to Quick Hitters, Volume 3, and we've got a nice lineup ready to roll here for this Quick Hitters. We are going to lead off the, the Dexter Fowler, the Bobby Dernier. What other Cubs leadoff hitters could we have here, Nate, that, that would be honorable and, and pop? Kenny Lofton from 2003. That was a good, that was a good one. He, he, he was a very nice uh, trade deadline acquisition. Uh, Nate Wall, the girls' basketball coach at David City Aquinas, my wife's alma mater. Uh, he's going to come on here tonight. Coach, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, appreciate the appreciate the intro. I'll I'll respond to Dexter Fowler, best Cubs leadoff hitter ever. Hit that game seven leadoff home run. Only player to do that. So <sighs> that. You can call me Dexter. Also, also known as one of the longest uh, longest nights of my life. But it turned out just fine. It turned yes, out it just did. fine. Uh, but uh, I, I we we still have a hole in our carpet for me. Uh, just standing in the same spot for, for five hours straight and, and, uh, oh yeah, but it was, it was worth it in the end, in the end, it was, it was worth all the stress in the world. So as I ran out into the street at midnight and dumped champagne on my head and my neighbors were probably wondering who is this? Well, we know he's an idiot that we're living next door to, but, uh, you did that too. Wow. You did that. You did that as well. Absolutely. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't tell my wife, and uh, I had the champagne in there, and I had bought it at the beginning of the World Series, and when they got down three one, I'm like, okay, you know, and they, but I don't know, going into Game Five, I was like, I don't know, I just feel like they're gonna make a run here. I just feel like they're gonna make a run, and right. and Game Five begot Game Six, and all of a sudden you get to Game Seven, and, and uh, yeah, we were running around and and. And I was crying, and and my wife was crying because I was crying, and the kids were jumping up and down, and so forth and so on. And I went sp- after a couple minutes, I went sprinting downstairs, and like she's like, "Where are you going?" I said, "I gotta, I gotta grab the champagne." She, she's like, "What are you talking about?" And I went and I ran out the front door, popped it open, and just had my own victory celebration out out right in front of my house. So, is that is that kind of what you did? I think you described the Wall household that exact same night. Although I woke, um, I woke my kids up though, so they could see it, and they don't remember seeing it. But I woke them up and actually got them out of bed so they could see the final out. So very similar to our house. Very nice, very nice. Well, we digress. Uh, we are we're, we're supposed to be talking about basketball, but hey, you know what? I, it's my podcast. If I want to talk about the Cubs for ninety seconds and and our one shining moment in the last one hundred and thirteen years, doggone it! Like I can do that every once in a while. So, uh, coach, let's talk uh, feeder teams, feeder programs, youth program development. Uh, what do you got? Uh, what do you got cooking there at Aquinas? What have you done in your previous stops? Uh, you know, just kind of go through your system and and how you do things and uh you know if i if i've got some questions i'll chime in there and we'll and but i'm just gonna let you cook here right uh thanks coach um you know i you know my career you know, i've coached um you know 18 years 13 as head coach and i've had a few stops along the way where it's been kind of a complete rebuilding pro pro project where there hasn't been a whole lot of anything going on with the youth and i just think it's it's just so important to build your team and your program's brand. And I, I just always have to remind myself that I'm not just a varsity team's head coach, but I'm also the program's head coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the CEO of all operations of the, right now, the Aquinas Catholic Monarch program. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the, the, the most important job that a CEO has to do is, is recruit and recruit within your school district and recruit the hallways. And, and it's always kind of helped me being an elementary teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I get those, I can brainwash them early, you know, <laughs> a, a second grade teacher, a fourth grade teacher. Uh, and so I can kind of brainwash them early. They have a good experience in my classroom. You know, I'm, I've been able to, you know, keep them kind of hooked on basketball. And I think, you know, you, you just got to make it exciting, make basketball ex- exciting. And mm-hmm. I, I try to make Lady Monarch basketball, ex- it, that it's exciting to be a Lady Monarch a basketball player. And, uh, um, you know, 
um, try to get them, try to get them ways that the, and give them the resources that they can to sign up for, for a youth program. And, you know, all it takes is just a little bit of spark Mm -hmm. and then they might just latch onto that thing and it becomes like a a lifelong love affair with the game of basketball. Like I started as a kid, you know, and I was a coach's kid and grew up in a gym. And so, uh, but I try to give that same spark. So I, I, you know, I've created, and also you got to try to find ways to get people to your games, you know, I mean, it's so easy to stay home now, you know, strive is such a great thing. Mm -hmm. They've done, they've done such amazing things, you know, for kids and all sports. Um, but now you, you can watch games and not leave your house. People can socialize now and, and never leave their house. They can have friends and never actually meet them. So you got to try to find, you know, I think when you and I were growing up, everyone went to every Friday night football game, every Saturday oh, yeah. night basketball game, yep. because that's where everybody was and you just did it. And so, so some things I've kind of done in the past to spark some interest. I know all coaches have a, like their own summer youth camp. Uh, and, I don't, and I've had I don't know those for years. One thing I had done in the past is, if you sign up for my summer youth camp, then I tell them, okay, you now have a VIP all access pass to one basketball game in the winter, and they get mail either you know through the post office or um, they get it sent to them at school. But it's a it's a it's a letter saying you have an all access pass to. Um, to to watch our basketball team, they go in the locker room before the game, locker room at halftime, locker room after the game. They're part of all the part of all the timeouts, the pregame talks. Uh-huh. They get their name announced. Uh-huh. Um, they get their name announced before the game with their favorite, and they write down a piece of paper who their favorite player is to take the floor with their favorite player. Um, and so, and, and and mom and dad always come. So it makes you know it 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 gets people to your games and you know maybe they come every single game after that yeah um you know i've i've done things where you come to my youth camp and then you get you get a basketball you know mm-hmm. so at, at one point in time when i was at david city public every single kid in our feeder program both boys and girls had their own basketball at home with mm-hmm. a scout logo on it um you know, switch switch it up every once in a while. Give up, give out shorts with the team logo on it rather than a, you know a t shirt. Um, you know, just anything you can do to just spark an interest in these kids and get them to latch onto your program. Yeah. What uh, what gray what age level uh, do you start bringing kids into your camps? I start at. I start going into second grade. So the summer after your first grade, and then, you know, I'll split them up in between. I'll split them up. Usually I go going into second, going to third, going to fourth. So then we can really lower the hoops for them. Mm -hmm. And then fifth, sixth, and seventh will come. And then I actually bring in my eighth graders with my high school girls so that we can get a jump start. Um, as so they come in as freshmen, they've already understood our, our verbiage. They've already got a jump start on that. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, so so you've talked a lot about camps and uh, that type of thing, and, and and getting that spark going. And I, and I agree. Uh, gear. Uh, one of, one of the things I started doing this year is I just um, went to the Target dollar aisle and I just bought. Um, fifty dollars worth of one dollar and fifty, you know, fifty cent, uh, uh, stuff, you know. And so you win a a shooting competition at our Saturday morning thing. Hey, come over here, pick out a prize, and it, it, you know, it could be a a box of SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, band aids. But they think it's cool. They think it's funny, you know, and it's dorky. But they're like, oh, look, and they and they, they act like it's an Olympic gold medal at the same time. And uh, it, it's kind of a little point of pride, just just dorky thing. But I think both you and I in agreement that especially with like second, third, fourth graders, it's not necessarily about what you're teaching. And yeah, you want to teach them how to play the game the right way and you want to get fundamentals and you're working on those things. But the biggest thing is you want them to be excited to come back and and to right. to want to get back to the gym as quickly as they can, right? 
Right, and those those kids will never forget those prizes that you gave out either. I mean, they may not remember the camp, but they'll remember exactly where they got that and probably hang on to that a little longer than mom and dad would like. <laughs> That's, you know, funny you should mention that because one thing I've, I've also done, and I've done this for years, is I always have in my car, the car I drive most often, is I always have a box of T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And if I'm driving to the grocery store or know someplace with my kids and then i see a kid out shooting baskets i will literally grab a t-shirt and i throw it out the window to him mm-hmm. and i and i let them know that at my camps as well that hey if i catch you shooting i catch you shooting i'm throwing you a t-shirt mm-hmm. and uh, of course they're gonna ask you know um where do you live? And I say, well, I'm, I'm most likely to drive down to the baseball fields or to the restaurants or to the schools. So make sure you're out there all the time. And then the country kids want part of that. I let the, you know, the country and farm kids know that, Hey, if you're ever outside working on your game, have your parents send me a video, you know, whether they text it to me or they send it to me on social media and I'll drive out to their house. And I think I did that. I did that one time for your nieces and drove out to their house and, and they just, they just go crazy over that. And, and, and just, if they have the, if they know there's a possibility of them getting caught shooting, well Uh, then, you know, then they'll go and do those things. Yeah. They are probably much more excited to see you than they were to see me. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. without a question. <laughs> exactly. Um, what uh, you know, doing the camps is good, but also your 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 kids at at various levels, uh, at at many at, at any level, you're going to want to start getting them also to have some some game reps and some competition reps. What's kind of been your program's philosophy on when you start your kids? Uh, you know, playing playing in competitions. Uh, how many competitions do you have them playing in when it comes to leagues or tournaments? Um, and and just kind of how how have you built that up? Well, what um, we I kind of like to get them started in October. You know, you know things I've done in the past. We've had some fall clinics, and I use October, November. I might take four Saturdays and use that as a coaching clinic time for the youth coaches and say, Hey, here's how we teach closing out. Here's how we teach, you know, jump stops, layups and shooting and all that. You know, this, uh, past year, um, at Aquinas went, you know, we had both boys and girls. I think it was five Saturdays. We had what was called our four on four league. And I stole the idea from Steve Weasler at, at why not? Cause mm-hmm. he's won a few things. He's done a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> He's been okay. Um, I kind of took, you know, his idea and, you know, and we set up our own four on four league and uh, our, uh, we divide them up evenly and our high school girls would come in and they'd be the coaches and they selected a college team name. So we'd have teams like Peru state versus Wayne state or Nebraska versus college of St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, and then we'd spend maybe about, you know, about, 20 30 minutes you know teaching stuff that's important to us closing out and you know in our program we shade left we're we're always shading to that we can so the things that are important to us and then the last 30 minutes we'll just we'll just we'll just play we'll have our little league and we keep standings and make it really competitive Uh, and that kind of kicks off our youth season and then um then the youth coaches are kind of on their own you know uh we run two tournaments here in david city one in january and then one during the girls state tournament there in early march and they typically will go to about four or five tournaments um and you know each youth coach you know our youth coaches are all parents that they kind of decide what's right for what's right for their group. Our second graders, they just have their, they practice maybe once a week and their season kind of finishes with playing, playing a halftime of one of the varsity games. Third grade is when we really start amping them up. And we're pretty, pretty fortunate at Aquinas Catholic in that we really have, we about have two teams for every single grade level. So we're oh, able wow. to put two third grade teams in a, in a tournament, two fifth grade teams in a tournament it kind of, kind of varies on the grade. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so when you get in season, and that's the way I've always been kind of as well, I'm going to work really hard with you guys throughout the whole off season, but I can only be stretched so far. And every once in a while, I'll check in on you. But once we get into the to the teeth of the season, you guys are kind of on your own. Um, I, I do still need to be a, a husband, a father, and I've got this whole varsity and, and high school program. That's the, obviously the teeth of our season. You, do, do you get, um, I know I feel guilty about that sometimes. Uh, do you get, do you feel kind of the same way a little bit? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I try to, I try to pop in and talk to, talk to our kids. You know, a lot of times our practice gets done and then our pride kids are trying to get onto the, trying to get onto the court right after our practice. And so I like to stick around, do a fist pump with every kid, you know, uh, mess around them a little bit, you know, get really excited for something I see them do in in the practice. Uh, And one of my favorite things to do is I like to take an entire day and then just go to a youth tournament that they may be at, you know, and especially when we have those uh, two uh, David city tournaments, I love just popping to all the different facilities around town and just watching a quarter going to the next and they see you there and, and and they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just one of, it's one of my, one of my favorite things to do uh, is that, and you're right. I wish there was more time, uh, but you, you also gotta also gotta have balance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, good stuff, Coach. Any anything else you want to add as far as your youth philosophy and and what you're what you're doing to to get your kids ready to roll here and building that program up in a in a smaller community? Right. So I just uh, you know, I just kind of had a you know, I, after all these years of coaching, I finally have my son playing. My son was a third grader this year, and I started coaching his team. And I learned so – I probably learned more this year coaching his team than I'd ever learned in any of my varsity years. And one thing that I really learned, you know, and then, you know, uh, my son attends um, – he attends David City Public for right now. And um, – and the school was closed down this winter because of COVID. So there couldn't be any youth practices there, which was totally understandable. So we had to find a different uh, practice facility. So uh, we went, so we had to drive 12 miles to Rising City. And you know, they had torn down, the, torn down the school, kept the gym. So we practiced there a couple of times a week. And so uh, my wife would go and pick up all the players from his team, drive them out to me at Aquinas. We would then switch vehicles and I would drive the entire basketball team at 12 miles. And that minivan was rocking. Let me tell you what (laughs) I mean. And so, so the team would all show up at the exact same time in rising city. And I said, you know what, boys, you got 15 minutes. Just, just play. You got 15 minutes. I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm eating my dinner, Uh talking to the other coaches that are there setting up for the practice and they are organizing themselves. They're getting after one another. And I, and I didn't coach them for that 15 minutes because I'm trying to just catch my breath and survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that 15 minutes, we come back and I would go ahead and run that practice. And we did that probably for a good nine or 10 practices. But well, we show up for our very first league game in Lincoln. And these boys are like sharks. I mean, they are like, they are just full court man, just getting after people. And I had to back them up because our rules say you couldn't pick up to the three point line, which was just a really good rule. But I mean, we're getting rebounds and going coast to coast. We're getting rebounds and passing and pitching ahead. And I got seven of my eight boys can get a rebound and go the distance and make a layup or make a pass. And I had uh, someone at the scores table say, I've never had a third grade team ever run the floor like you guys, ever transition like you. And I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from. When the car ride home, I got to thinking that they got that way due to that unstructured, unorganized, but supervised time. That 15 minutes where I just let them be and just didn't coach them. And just let them kind of be kids and organize themselves and call their own fouls or don't call their own fouls. That is where they learned how to do this. And it was just kind of a big eye opener to me when I, when I get to my high school practices that, hey, 
I need to just let them play. I need to just let them, you know, problem solve on their own, mm-hmm. not not over not over coach them. And yeah. that was just that was just just a really just that in that time that was driving me crazy because it was unstructured and unorganized. That was where we made the biggest gains. And so I encourage just all youth coaches and high school coaches as well. Give them that play time right there. You know, you got to do something with the basketball and just, but sometimes it takes some teaching, you know, teaching them how to be creative with the game. Um, but I just, and I told my the youth coaches right away at uh, in our pride program, hey, encourage your players to come early, give them 15, 10 minutes just to play, just mm-hmm. to play. You don't coach them, just supervise them, don't say a word, and just let them go, and, and the game will just become beautiful. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's that's great stuff. This was that that last story was Jerome Walton esque. And that will be our last reference to legendary Cubs leadoff hitters right there, Coach Wall. So, uh, or who was the guy? Yeah, Jerome Walton won the Rookie of the Year. That's right, 1989. So, there you have it. That's that's good and, stuff. And Dwight Smith got second that year in the, in the Rookie of the Year voting. So, who was it? Dwight Smith got was runner up. Oh, that that's same year. right. Yes, yeah. And then they both just kind of fizzled out. So that was it. That was it. So, all right, uh, Coach Wall. Nate Wald, girls basketball coach at David City Aquinas. Coach, thanks for so much for coming on Quick Hitters here. Greatly appreciate it, man. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we'll see you. Next up on our Quick Hitter list is Dave Runchy, the assistant girls basketball coach at Ankeny Centennial High School. Uh, very integral in the success of, of one of the best programs in the state of Iowa. Uh, Dave, how you doing on this fine Saturday morning? Oh, great, Marty! Doing doing well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. No problem. We uh, we haven't had a lot of assistant coaches on the pod, and I thought it would be interesting to get an assistant coach's perspective on their role, on what they do, on how they do what they do, um, and and what they're trying to do within their uh, within their role within the staff. So. Uh, talk about your your uh, role within Coach DeYoung's staff, what you've been doing the last couple of decades for Scott, and so forth and so on. Oh, you bet. You know, as an assistant coach, I think that, you know, your role continues to grow, you know, throughout the years. Um, I just jotted down a few things, and, uh, you know, I kind of categorized into three different things, off-season development, in-season planning and preparation, and then also the game day responsibilities. So I'll talk a little bit about that, and then we can kind of, you know, sure. you know, if you have anything to add to it or whatever. No, let it rip. Um, so the off-season development, I was thinking to aid in the development of our current players, but then also our youth, you know, and, and mostly for our current players in the summer with the way the rules and things are set up. And kind of to help to create a vision for the next year's team, because, you know, that that's always evolving and changing and trying to start putting together that plan in the summer mm-hmm. rather than, you know, that being put in at the end of the, you know, right before the season starts. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I work with our post players and then try to think about, you know, what type of package, what things are they going to do within our offensive system and how can we break down that best um, in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then... As you know, with our with the youth, I think it's it's becoming a numbers game with basketball, and I'm not sure what it's like, you know, Nebraska, but certainly in Iowa, it's become you know the numbers are dwindling a little bit. So we need to keep creating that enthusiasm with our youth, and need to get our youth excited and working on the game at an early age. So I think that's that's very very important. You have uh, it. It is becoming. I thought more that and more could be of a something battle. that could be a yeah another podcast maybe, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Oh, it uh, it could be a series of podcasts on on you know basketball and and, and uh, in Nebraska we lose a lot to volleyball, and I don't know what it is in Iowa. Uh, what what? Well, uh, I think I think it's that you know, and I think it's it's a very difficult. It's a game. It's a tough game to play. A lot of skill development involved, which in a lot of sports there are, but I think. You've got somebody in front of your face, and you've got to, 
they're always there and you've got to make mm-hmm. decisions and there's always different spots to be. So I think, you know, that's, that's certainly something we need to continue to do is, is grow the excitement yeah. of the game for our youth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell my coaches, uh, every time we work with our younger kids, you know, yeah, we want to get things accomplished, but the most important thing is to get them excited to come back into the gym, uh, the next time to have them want to come back. That's the most important thing we can do. And if we can do that, then we're doing our jobs and then they'll learn stuff just by naturally being there, but we can't teach them things unless they're there. And in order to get them there, we got to get them excited to want to come back. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, the se- you know, the second thing I was thinking is kind of the in season planning and preparation. So I, you know, we've, and when I say in season planning and preparation, you know, kind of our, preseason, um, first couple weeks of practice prior to the game, so helping with the organization of the practices, possible lineups and the strategies that we're going to implement and put in. Because um, you know there's always going to be things that come out in the season as it progresses, and you think you're you know, you're going to be this type of team, but oh, all yeah. of a sudden you have an injury or things that come down the pike. Um, so as a coach, I think it's very important, you know, Coach Young has always been very good about having a forward vision of kind of what our thing he thinks our teams are going to look like and play like. Mm-hmm. So we need to know, you know, kind of think about how the, as the season progresses, how close can we get to that end of the year where we think we're playing as tournament time rolls around? How close are we to where that vision's at? So I think that's really part uh, important there. Okay. Um, I go ahead. No, go, no, no. You, you just keep on going, man. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think my some of my biggest in-season jobs as an assistant um, continue to have those little conversations with all the players at different times, make sure that they're doing okay, you know, continuing to help them discover and become comfortable in what their role is going to be on our team because that piece is so important with our chemistry and how that works towards building, a you know, a strong and, and the best team that we can make. Mm-hmm. What you know, and I think that kind of goes with the, the the role of the assistant coach. You know, uh, just being that intermediary. Um, what what are some other, you know, if you were to put a a a list together of the three or four most important things that an assistant can bring to the table for their head coach, what what do you think those things would be? That's a really good question. And, and I think there's a long, long list. It is a um, long list. It is a long I, list. You know, I I think just, and I stole this from uh, Mike Neighbors. He's a coach at Arkansas for the for the women's. But he talks about three things. He talks about time, trust, and talent. And I think as I look at those three things, you know, with thinking of the time, um, being able to be present and put in as much time as possible off season for sure, but then during the season and whatever you can do to take things off the uh, head coach's plate, um, whatever that might be Mm -hmm. little roles and responsibilities so they can more focus on their job. I know that it's, it's a big administrative job and I can't imagine, you know, and going into the head coaching, even at the high school level right now, the number of administrative things, so trying to take things off their plate, mm-hmm. and that I think that time aspect is huge. Um, I, I will say, I was, oh, Go sorry, ahead. I didn't mean to. Uh, no, you're I, good. I, I was an assistant for for ten years before I became a a long term head coach, and I and I've been a head coach ever since. Um, in, in between those ten years, I was a head coach for one year. Uh, you know, one of the things that was the biggest adjustment because you, you think you're getting into that head coaching position and it's okay. I got to get, I got to plan practices now. I got to do this and you know, you know, whatever you assume to be those, those head coaching responsibilities. I, I think that the biggest thing by and large that new head coaches don't understand is that administrative role that uh, all that, stuff that you just have to do in order to uh to to make the program work with that you know just filling out POs or uh uh 
responding to to random emails by a, a youth parent or uh, you know an acquiring college coach or what, whatever it may be, just that type of stuff uh, becomes so much more prevalent uh, when you slide over those eighteen inches, and and that is kind of the thing that that, that caught me off guard. Uh, what I thought I was really, really, like I said, I'd been an assistant for 10 years. I thought I was ready. And that was, that was something I did not anticipate being as big a deal as what it was. Sir, you get into the job for a certain reason. And then all of those things as important as they are, (laughs) seem to be kind of like roadblocks, you know what I mean? To getting the, what you want to do and what you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, And you, you, you get kind of, uh, like you said, I think you you put it perfectly, Dave. The you you get into it to to want to plan those practices, to to do those things, and you don't realize how much other stuff you have to do, and actually you lose sight of sometimes. Oh yeah, shoot! I still got to get practice planned for today, and it's it, it's sixth period, and you know whatever whatever the issue may be. So uh, I think yeah. I, I think anything that an assistant coach can do to take those administrative things off of the plate of the head coach is greatly appreciated by every head coach. Yes. Yeah. And then I think with the trust, you know, you've, you're developing that trust over the years, but at first that's a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, you want to make sure nothing's going to get in the way of your team, continue to improve and grow. And you might not always agree with the head coach, mm-hmm. but no one can know that. Like your team can't sense that other than, you know, and there aren't many people you can talk to about it, but you need to be as loyal as possible and understand that the trust uh, within that grows and it it grows all the time, but you need to be able to um, not let other things get in the way of of that trust. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it does. And it does take time. It does take time to develop that trust, that cohesion. Um, I'm sure you look back, uh, if you were to hop in the DeLorean and fire up the flex capacitor to 1.28 gigawatts, you know, uh, you know, you'd go back and think, ah, man, yeah, things have definitely evolved between Scott and I over the last two decades. But when we started, it was, it was, it was unique. It was different. So, um, what talents? Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I just think, too, you know, you need to continue. And I was thinking back to the things that you can do to kind of, as assistants, one of the other things is I think sometimes you you stop developing professionally. You know, you stop the learning. And I think last year I associated that a little bit. And then with COVID, you know, all the different possibilities and probabilities of kind of developing professionally came back. I lost mm-hmm. a little bit of my love for coaching mm-hmm. and I think I started to develop professionally and then that started to reignite the fire in me. And I think that needs to, with, with coaches and with assistant coaches, they need to continue to learn too, not just the things that they're doing, but what are some different things that are happening and different trends in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point. If you're, if you've been an assistant for an extended amount of time, like like somebody like yourself, you know you've been on the sidelines with Scott for for twenty years now. Um, is it hard not to become a little bit stagnant with your with your professional development and 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 seeking out new ways to to teach or or new drills or that type of thing? It does become kind of difficult because mm-hmm. you know we do have a system. And our defensive system stays very similar. Um, our offensive system tweaks a little bit based upon our personnel. Mm-hmm. But I do think that 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 becomes a that becomes something that's hard to do. And as you continue, and as coaches learn, and the young assistant coaches or coaches that are listening, I think you pull a lot of different things in, and you try to do a lot of different things and learn and watch. You know, listen to podcasts, watch videos. But as you become older, you need to start to kind of narrow down the amount of things that you look at. And maybe you still are getting a lot of things. You're looking at a lot of different um, ideas, but kind of narrow the amount of things that you take in. You know, just that's that's, I think, the biggest thing as as an older coach, younger coach, you'll bring it in. 
And even if it's not part of your system, I still think that's okay because you're still growing your knowledge of the game. But mm-hmm. it's, you're right. It is very difficult to do when you have a certain system that's in place. Yeah. What, what, uh, let's see if I can word this question the way I want to. Uh, sometimes, you know, you guys have been very successful, you know, at Ankeny High and now at Centennial. Uh, you've, you've always been in the fight. Uh, and, and more often than, than most schools, you've, you've won a lot more fights, uh, especially at the end of the year. Uh, and, and sometimes assistant coaches uh, can become, in the sense, a little bit too comfortable. And so they start uh, hunting for jobs. And they just kind of assume that, well, what we did at, at, at Centennial, as an example, let's say you have a, a younger assistant coach who's been there maybe with you guys for like five years, and they just assume that, you know, well, I'm just going to take what we do at Centennial, and I'm just going to automatically transfer it to my next stop. And it's really not that easy. Um, you know, what advice do you give for younger assistant coaches who are coming from a a successful program who may be looking to become an assistant coach, but they don't realize how difficult it is to replicate that success at their their previous position, at the previous school that they were working for somebody else or working within an established system. Does that that question make sense, Dave? I think so. Yeah. You know, you you make the big time where you are, wherever you're at. So I think that's the biggest thing. Um, the job that you're currently at, you can't, you can still have head coaching aspirations, but you need to excel in your role at that place. Um, I, at first I had aspirations to be a head coach and still, I think at sometimes do, Mm -hmm. but have become not necessarily, you said the word comfortable. I think, you know, I've become I know I have to do what I need to do at that job. Mm-hmm. So I don't, for younger assistants that want to do that, I think they still have to have those aspirations. Um, but they need to learn and they need to always continue to, um, you know, learn from their head coach so that mm-hmm. when they have that opportunity and that opportunity presents itself, you know, that's, that's where they can go. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, it, it does. That, you know, it, it, you have to keep all options open and, and all lines of communication open. And and I, I think one thing that, especially when you're younger, you, you and I are, are a little bit more grizzled veterans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're experienced. How about that? We're, we're not going to say we're, we're not yeah. going to. We're not going to. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we realize how hard this job is. And, and how how success uh, can be a little fleeting at times, and 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 that we need to to value wins and value successful seasons and that type of a thing. Whereas when you're younger, younger, and you achieve success or you start moving up that ladder, I, I think sometimes you can um, take that a little bit for granted and, and think it that that the job is is like I said, it's it's easier than what it is when it's really not. And I think that's the biggest lesson that as a young assistant coach, if you're part of a of a very good program, if you're fortunate to be in that situation and you're looking to move on from that, not every situation is like that. And and I think that's a big piece of advice to give younger assistant coaches that might be looking to move up that head coaching track. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would you, yeah, you, would you agree you with that? You continue to Yeah, I would. And you continue as you become you know, more entrenched in a certain program, you start to see things that you did not see two years before, three years before, four years before, things that come out that can help you to become a better coach in the future Mm -hmm. if you're looking for those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How much, how much are you as an, as a longtime assistant coach, how much are you looking at uh, what people are doing around you guys. And like, you know, uh, Scott was on the pod a few months ago and, and, you know, he's obviously what he's done has been very successful and, and it has worked for him. And, uh, but how much are you keeping your eyes out and you're going, Hey, wow, Waukee is doing that now. I, I, 
I kind of like that or that type of thing and, and maybe bringing that to the table and and, and maybe let's end on this uh, what what do you when do you know it's the right time to suggest something to your to your head coach and and when is the uh, when is it not? The right time, um, whether it's the off season, whether it's during the season, because I think sometimes we, uh, you know, as assistant coaches, we want to be so part of the program, but yet there's there's usually a time and a place to to bring up certain things, and you can't bring up everything with your head guy. Um, you know how do you, how do you and Scott handle that relationship? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, one thing, one time when we would not, I wouldn't suggest anything would be in the middle of a, a drill and practice because our our practices are hard hitting. And I had written down, you know, just as a as a assistant coach, um, Coach DeYoung would might use four or five seconds, and I've got two seconds to put in, so I better be darn sure I know exactly if I put in something in practice, it's the right thing. But as far as you know, like the suggestions go. Uh, we have a really good relationship, so I would say um, we're always looking at what other teams are doing, um, specifically offensively, because I think defensively our man-to-man system, um, it stays pretty similar, but we're always looking for things. So I feel comfortable coming to him with an idea, strategic idea, at about any time. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, obviously it's not, right during a practice or it's after a film session we've ta- you know we've watched tape we've come and talk a little bit i think those are the times that i feel comfortable mm-hmm. pretty much any time to to share an idea of like what walkie is doing what what structures are they running offensively how southeast poke um, running their offense those types of things mm-hmm. yeah but that yeah, obviously over two decades now you're very familiar as to when it is and when it's not the right time to bring something up as well too so certainly yeah so anything else dave well i just think for any you know young assistant coaches that are that are trying to learn you know and trying to grow as a as an assistant coach continue to excel in your role um have a ton of enthusiasm and i think um don't forget why you're doing it you know i think that Every once in a while I do, I forget why, you know, why I'm out there and continue to remember why you're coaching and what you're in it for because it's a great profession. We've been so lucky to coach, you know, so many great young young people and um, help them grow. So we appreciate what you do, Marty, with the podcast and so lucky to have COVID, uh, you know, and obviously there aren't some bad things, but a good thing was to get introduced to your podcast and the things that you do for basketball. So well, certainly really appreciate that. Well, thanks Dave. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a great ride and, and uh, you know, I, the, all the credit, as I've said multiple times here, uh, this was not necessarily my idea. Uh, give Carla Plum a lot of the credit because she was the <laughs> one that said, this is, this is what, this, this might be something you can do here in your downtime. And, and, uh, it's, it's turned out to be a real blessing. So, but I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, it, you know, oh yeah, you bet. Uh, Dave Runchy, the assistant girls basketball coach at Ankeny Centennial High School. Just some words of wisdom on the roles of assistant coaches. Uh, can't thank Dave enough for coming out here. Uh, Dave, have a great Saturday. You too, Marty. Enjoy the weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Coaches, a pen and a napkin, will be hosting its first annual high school coaches clinic on Saturday, May the 1st at Fort Calhoun High School, which is just 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha. We'll have a variety of speakers on subjects that affect us as high school basketball coaches, along with breakout sessions to have small group discussions to tweak each other's minds to help our coaching community hone their craft. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or check out our Twitter handle at a pen and a napkin. Next up on Quick Hitters Volume 3, a young lady that I've spent a little bit of time with with her uh, about, how long, seven years was it, Sarah? Six. Six? Six years. Yeah. Six years as my assistant coach, and she just wrapped up her third year at Bennington helping out the Badgers uh, just outside of Omaha here, and before that, Sioux City Healing, highly successful program. Uh, what I personally believe to be one in the be- one of the best uh, high school 
uh, one-on-one instructors. Uh, if uh, Coaches, if you're looking for somebody in the Omaha-Lincoln area to work with your players in a, in a one-on-one fashion, uh, look up Sarah Goodwin. She is absolutely awesome at what she does. So with that, Sarah, you don't have to live up to anything after that introduction. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was quite generous. I appreciate that. Uh, no, it's not generous if it's the truth. So, uh, well, hey, uh, Sarah, let's talk. Uh, I wanted to have you on here and and just talk about we're kind of in the season of uh, workouts and player development, and I know that's something that you're really really passionate about. Uh, for me, it was such a luxury. Uh, you know, after about the first year or so. Uh, I could just say, "Hey, work with them and make them better," and I and I had all the confidence in the world that that's what you were going to do. Uh, let's start with with this. Um, what is kind of your core philosophy? What are you looking to accomplish when you're working with a player? I think it starts um, understanding where the player's at to begin with. I think uh, a lot of us as high school coaches are working with a wide variety of skill levels and even into the middle school uh, age groups because we're trying to develop our programs for the future. Um, So the main thing is, is meeting a player or a a group of players where they're at and kind of assessing where they want to go um, and what basketball means to them or any sport uh, means to them kind of how far they want to take it. Mm -hmm. I think that's vitally important to understand first and foremost. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, is that just something you, you, you work into, or is it something you're pretty upfront and honest with, with a kid the first time you're with them or or how do you kind of get to that point? Uh, that's a great question. And I think that's different for every kid. Um, sometimes, you know, players really pretty well and and it's, it's really comes about naturally. Uh, they're very honest, uh, when, if you just ask them. If you're working with younger kids, I, I find you have to pull it out of them quite a bit more. They're usually a little more nervous to uh, state their goals, or maybe they don't even know where they're at. Um, I think, it, for me, uh, developing relationships is um, uh, the, the best way to get there, Let, letting the player feel comfortable uh, talking to you about anything, really, anything basketball or uh, non-basketball related. Uh, that usually opens the doors to... Uh, a variety of conversations and allows them to feel comfortable um, asking questions and uh, being just really honest. Maybe they're feeling burnt out and they, they need to take a step back. Uh, I think they, they need to have the freedom to, to say that to you and, and not worry about the response. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're getting ready to, to work with a player or when, when you work with a player, uh, what are, in your mind, You've worked with guards, you've worked with posts, you work with everything in between. And, you know, what are the, if you had to narrow it down to two or three things that you want to instill, and we'll start with perimeter players, the, the two or three things that you think are the most important things to instill, instill into the skill set of a perimeter player, what are those things, what are those two or three things at the top of your list that, hey, you know, this player might be here, this player might be, you know, farther or, or farther ahead or farther behind, but no matter what, I want this kid, when I'm done working with them after X amount of workouts, this is something I feel is really important they have to have in their skill set. Yeah, you, uh, especially for perimeter players, all players, really, you have to be able to put the ball in the hoop, uh, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in these individual workouts, a lot of it is offensive-based because mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit harder to do when you don't have anybody else in the gym to work on your defense. Uh, so first and foremost, you got to be able to put the ball in the hoop. Um, for some, that's going to be maybe more shooting-based, and others it might be more finishing around the rim, uh, even as a perimeter player. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is decision-making, uh, which is also kind of hard to work on, uh, particularly individually, uh, which is why I like to work in small groups also. Uh, but it's really, if, if a, a player has all these moves but can't make the right decision at the right time, the, the moves don't matter. Mm-hmm. What, what are some things, and I know the medium is never perfect for, for this type of, of question, but what are some things that you do to work with players on decision-making. I, you know, I don't think that's really something we've talked a lot about on any of the pods, so I'm glad we're going here. Uh, what do you do to, to, to help players 
you know, help teach players decision making? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, particularly when it's an individual player, I, I, when it's a small group, it's a little bit easier because you can add a little more variety, mm-hmm. um, uh, put in kind of some dummy defenders or some live defenders, and that, that makes it a lot easier. Individually, though, I just try to provide a lot of variability, uh, provide like some visual or, or auditory cueing. Um, that they have to either see or listen to uh, in order to make the right decision or or, uh, maybe uh, instead of a drill pull-up, maybe they're finishing at the rim in that that instance when they see that cue or hear that cue. Mm -hmm. And then just providing a a lot of of variability, uh, not doing a whole bunch of blocked practice, Mm -hmm. um, providing a a little bit more randomness I find is helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. You may have used the words variability and auditory cues. That's that's. I'm very confident that's the first time those words have ever been uttered on a pen and a napkin. So all right, you're 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 breaking new ground, Goody. All right, great. <laughs> it says Sioux City Healing Education. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, so post players, uh, we, we we talked about perimeters. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about post players and what you're looking to do with your with your post kids and and the two or three skills that you want your post players to have after you're done working with them for you know again x amount of you know numerous workouts uh, whatever that exact number is. Yeah, I think again uh, decision making is a big one, uh, and then for those kids, I would say footwork mm-hmm. uh, is really really pretty important. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to break down footwork footwork with the post kids? Uh, I think it comes uh, initially. They need to understand uh, what your what your uh, end goal is, and that's to get to the rim. You know, to make an easier shot for yourself. Um, and, and post play, especially, there's a lot of, of foot battling. I always say, win the battle of the feet um, to to kind of pin your defender where you want them to start with, and that starts early. That starts before you get the ball. Uh, so a lot of even pre uh, pre catch uh, footwork, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, you know, you've got, let's say you got three kids in a workout and you had to, you had to say, okay, I, I've only got one drill that I can do with these three kids and with decision-making, uh, what, what's something, cause I'm kind of fascinated by that. Cause that's something our kids have, you know, a little bit struggled with, you know, and that also some of that's just reps of the game too. Absolutely. Um, but are you looking at like a, a two on one? And you, you you stunt and recover, or you help. Is, is that type a, a type of decision or a decision making drill that you're going to do with kids? Uh, I'll do a lot of one on one, but with a certain advantage start. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe you're starting with the defender on the hip of the offensive player, and you're trying to win the line to the basket. So you have to work on your physicality and uh, again, kind of winning that foot battle early. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you can do that off of a, a ball screen type of setup or a, a dribble handoff type of setup also uh, just trying to give uh, almost like the back end of whatever your offense might be. Maybe you run a lot of ball screen. Uh, so, so working on the end end of those situations, like if, if you, if your defender gets picked on that ball screen, what are your options and what are you really looking to do? If they, if they go under, what are you looking to do? Um, just kind of tailoring it to whatever, whatever will help make that uh, player successful on their actual team. Have you in the last few years with kind of the, uh, I don't know if it's the advent, but the evolution of the game where it's more four and five out, a lot more ball screen, uh, you know, there's just more ball screen in the game probably than there ever has been, you know, from top to bottom. Not everybody does it, but it's, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, do, do you work less off of, you know, kids coming off of, of screens and catch and shoot or, you know, let's pretend this is a double stagger and we're coming off of it here uh, like this and this is our read here. Now it's more ball in hand making a read, uh, that type of a thing. I I think for me when I work with uh, players from different teams, I really try to understand what they're off, what offense they're running, especially the high school uh, kids I work with. And if they run a ball screen offense we'll, or a dribble handoff, a lot of dribble handoffs, then we'll, we'll work on that a lot. Uh, if they don't, if they do a lot of pin downs or horn sets or whatever, we'll, we'll try to tailor it 
mm-hmm. um, to, to what they do most. Yeah. Do you, uh, how do you, how do you come about? Do you just ask the kids, Hey, what do you, what do you do on offense or, or what do you do? With, uh, with that? I'll ask the, the kids. A lot of times the kids don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just running um, our offense. I don't know. Yeah. We just would do, we just do, I just do what coach tells me. So I'll, I'll try to contact coaches. I love working with other coaches. Um, I like to watch film. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll watch a kid's film and kind of break it down. I love using film, mm-hmm. uh, even not, not, uh, high school game film for the for the player but i'll uh, pull clip, clips from uh college women's college basketball uh nba uh, just to kind of show hey this is what we're this is what we're looking for here and i know this is steph curry doing this but this is something you can do too and not necessarily the, the half court pull up but mm-hmm. um you know kind of just show, showing the athletes that sh- showing high level athletes doing the same things that we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm and and you've also used like cell phone video within workouts and you, you've taped a kid and then hey stop let's look at this for a couple minutes do you see what you're doing right or do you see what you're doing wrong you've done that before too haven't you i do that with everybody yeah i think i think kids have trouble feeling uh feeling what you're asking them to do when they can see it and when you can actually point out what they're doing or, or kind of some subtleties that's that's very very helpful yeah and do you think it helps with you know, and I'm using air quotes here, today's players to have that immediate feedback, especially when it is a video, you know, uh, you could put this on TikTok and you'd be locked in type of a thing. I do. I think, I think, uh, it's helpful in today's culture, but just helpful as kind of a multi-sensory way to learn. Uh, some people learn better by seeing some learn better by hearing, uh, some learn better by just doing and feeling. And so I, I try to incorporate as many of those learning styles as I can, especially right when I first meet somebody uh, that I'm trying to work with and maybe I don't know them very well. Mm-hmm. So what are, you know, we've talked a lot about what to do. Is there anything, you know, two or three don't do this that you've learned in, in your time working with uh individual players as much as you have what are some things that you should not do as you're working in a small group or you're working one-on-one with a player uh i don't know if i'm going to frame this correctly but kids have to have the freedom to try things and make mistakes so i think you can get too locked into perfection maybe too soon um, to where they're, they're maybe a little bit embarrassed to make a mistake or uh, embarrassed to try something new and have it look bad. Uh, I think that's something that I do early on, too, is I give a lot of freedom to mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't learn if you don't make mistakes. That's the best learning, learning tool is your, your body figures it out uh, when you're allowed to make mistakes. So I think that's one of the big ones is, is kind of um, not allowing for that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes yeah, and, when you, and, and you're probably sitting there going, that's okay. Make a mistake. Go fast enough to make. I know you heard me say that a million times when we were doing individual stuff in, in practices, you know, but it's good. Go fast. You push yourself to make a mistake. That's the only, you know, that's a great way to learn is by making mistakes. Yeah. I think players get tired of me saying that's a good miss. That's a good miss mm-hmm. Be- because they could, they can be improving and especially in their shot form and it doesn't go in. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And they need to they need to understand that the outcome won't always be there right away. But it is it's a better it's it's a better shot. It's a be, it's an improved shot. It's they're doing what I'm asking them to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's really really important to allow for that freedom. And that, especially this time of year when you might be, you might be changing a shot or trying to develop some new moves, they're not going to do it right away. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you handle I don't want to say handle. Handle is a bad word. Uh, how do you work with a kid who is working on that shot, but they just haven't gotten to that point yet? And you can see that frustration. You you know, I mean, because ultimately it comes down to, you know, it's a it, it, the shot feels better even if it's a the bad shot. If it goes in, you feel better about it than it could be perfect and it and, and you shoot it a little long or a little short. So how do you how do you handle that? you know, that a a frustration that a player might have as they, as they struggle to learn that skill and, and you can see them battling it and they want to do it. They want to try and get it done, but they're just not there yet, but they're, they're more battling than themselves than they are the move or the skill. 
Yeah, that's tough. That's tough because they'll they kind of default to their comfort level, and that's kind of what you're trying to fight. Yeah. Um, two two different things. Uh, one thing I also like to do is uh, I'll throw it like backwards over my head, and if it goes in, I'll say, "Was that a good shot?" Or if even if it doesn't go in, but if it's close, is that a good shot? Absolutely not. It's, yeah. it's, it's okay to miss. It's okay to struggle with this. That doesn't mean it's not a good shot. That doesn't mean you're not getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of use extreme examples like that. Um, if we're really repping something out and it's just not clicking, a lot of times I'll move on to something else. Um, and then we'll, I'll, I'll give that. I always give my players homework, too, and they're uh, responsible to keep track of their homework and record it in a notebook and kind of record uh, how often they do it and stuff like that. I think that's a really important habit to establish. Um, so if we're really struggling with something, I'll move on to something else, but then give that particular skill as homework. Um, and sometimes kids, if they're really struggling, I can tell they're really frustrated, especially if they're really young, we'll stop what we're doing and we'll play horse or we'll just do something to kind of get their mind off of it. Uh, kind of give them a little bit of a remembrance of why this game is fun because it is a game after all. Uh, I love, I really like doing that. And I think as soon as you see him smile, you know, you got him again. So then you can kind of go back to challenging him. Sure. Sure. Anything else you want to add, Goody? Uh, no, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I've listened to a lot of good coaches on this podcast and I just hope I gave one or two good things for other, that might help other people. Um, I owe a lot to the coaches that have helped me in the past and the, the coaches that I've worked with. I actually started at, at Burke with Tom Lee before mm-hmm. I was at Healing. I know he's uh, pretty well known in this area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, I also want to give a shout out to Coach Wettengill over at St. Albert. He's given me a lot of freedom to work with some of his players, and I really appreciated that. I've learned a lot mm-hmm. uh, working with some of his players as well. So, And if you're open to working with pretty much any kid. Right, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Boys, girls, uh, younger kids, uh, high school kids. I've not worked with anybody over high school yet, mm-hmm. um, but I'd, I'd be up for the challenge. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you after listening to this and listening to your brilliance here the last 20 minutes or so, uh, how, would, how would they get a hold of you? Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, at goods, G-O-O-D-S, 1009, so 1009. Uh, you can always get a hold of me that way. Um, they can get a hold of you. Who knows how to get a hold of me? Yeah. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, most other forms of social media. You you made me feel so important there. Like I'm the middleman here. You're my agent. <laughs> so I get a five percent cut here. Or, uh, no, one percent. No. <laughs> oh well, I. That, that that hurts a little bit. I know that's that's a little bit uh, stingy there. I know <laughs> it's okay. Well, I understand. I understand. One more so. one more thing I'd like to add that I actually meant to mention earlier. You bet. Uh, I, I work with a lot of multi sport athletes and especially soccer players, and there's a lot of correlation in my opinion between soccer and basketball in terms of spacing and movement. Um, I'll bring in drills and or videos from other sports. So one example of that is uh, Tobin Heath on the United States women's national team. I think she's the best point guard example ever. Um, She is always in control. She has such creativity um, in her passing and uh, her one-on-one soccer moves. I'm not not the best at soccer, but um, I think that's really important too in meeting kids where they're at is, is finding things they're interested in, finding how it relates. Mm-hmm. And using other sports. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the more you, you you speak to the language that you need to speak with each kid, and not every kid is going to speak the same language. So if you have a soccer kid and you say, "Hey, this is kind of like this when you do this in soccer," their their eyes kind of light up. Oh, okay. Now that makes sense to me. You know, yeah, absolutely type of a thing. Uh, I worked with a really, really high-level soccer player, and I asked her who her favorite player is. She says Tobin Heath. Well, I go and look up some Tobin Heath film because I want to, I want to show her how it relates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you will also be at our coaches clinic on Saturday if people wanted to talk to you. That's true. I will be there. Yeah. So uh, be looking for Sarah up at Fort Calhoun on Saturday morning. That'd be good. So. All right. Hey, Goody, thanks so much. I'm glad I'm able to to top off your day. Did you go 9 or 18 on the Scottish ball striking? 
Well, I worked a, a seven-hour day at the hospital. I work at a hospital. Uh-huh. Worked a seven-hour day, and then I went and played 18 holes. So and I'm uh, going to fall into bed tonight. <laughs> well, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you've earned the right to just fall into bed. So Yeah, and golf for me is a little extra walking because I'm not real good at it. So, <laughs> Well, that's why you get the cart. That's true, but then you still got to go chase your ball on the trees. That's true. That's true. So, well, you it's know, gonna work out. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, hey, it was a beautiful day to go out and, and golf. So absolutely, I, I mowed my lawn with my new lawnmower. So how's that for a also also a good day for that? Yeah, except I broke it in like four minutes. Oh, yikes! I, I, yeah, well, I put the bagger on, and I was mowing, and then I, I backed up, <clears throat> and the bagger got caught underneath, and <clears throat> I'm like. Are you kidding me? And I, I, I yelled a really loud cuss word in the middle of my street. I hope my neighbors don't think any less of me. But I was like, you got to be kidding me. I've had this on. I mean, it was. I didn't have the mower on for more than four minutes. I'm like, but it's fixable. Carla can sew it. So I'll, I'll be okay. But I was still, I was just like, because I felt like I was like real adulting by uh, bagging my grass at 47. I was like, <laughs> finally real adulting here. So. Uh, well, Carlo, Carlo will bail you out again. Yes, yes, yeah. That's uh, there's a couple notebooks full of uh, Carlo's bailouts for me. You know that just as well as anybody. So, all right. Well, hey, Goody, it's great to have you on. Uh, at the latest, we'll see you on Saturday. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. You bet. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye. All right. Bye. And that is it for Quick Hitters Volume Three. I uh, want to thank Nate Wall, the girls' basketball coach at David City Aquinas. want to thank Dave Runchy, the uh, girls' assistant at Ankeny Centennial, and Sarah Goodwin, the assistant girls' basketball coach at Bennington High. I do want to leave with this, though. I did have a fourth guest that was lined up for this quick hitter, and because of some scheduling uh, issues, uh, this person could not come on. But we are going to try and get together later on this week uh, to to come on and and trust me, folks, you do not want to miss that quick hitter pot. It is going to be a a big one. It is going to be a really good one. It is it is one of the best in the business nationally, and I think you're really really going to enjoy it. Uh, again, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandnapkin at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Don't forget Coach's Clinic this Saturday, May the first. Fort Calhoun High School, Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, just 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha. Would love to have a bunch of folks come out for it. Coaches, as always, let's stay safe, let's pray for peace, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.